0: So during interim, we're doing a short series on spiritual disciplines, which we're calling New Year's Resolutions with Jesus. Because so often we start the new year and we think, this is the year, I'm going to pray more, I'm going to get up early, I'm going to read more scripture, and then we get to about here, like the 14th, and it's kind of faded, we're not doing it so much anymore. And so this is our opportunity to say, this is why these things matter, and this is how we get to practice them together as community. So last week we looked at the practice of solitude, of retreat, of quieting ourselves and pulling away from things and listening to the Lord. Tonight we're going to look at scripture reading and its place in our lives, and the next week we'll look at prayer. And so tonight, the passage that we're going to look at is Matthew 4, Matthew chapter 4, and your Bibles, the black books uh, in the chairs around you are the Bibles, page 785, page 785 is Matthew 4. Now you'll see once you get to it that this is the story of the temptation of Jesus. And there are lots of ways to preach this story. There are lots of really interesting things that happen in this story. Tonight what we're going to focus on is the use of scripture and how Jesus in particular uses scripture when he is tempted. Hear the word of the Lord. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted forty days and forty nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they'll bear you up so that you won't dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. This is the word of the Lord. So if you were around last semester, you know that we did a study on Old Testament characters and events. And we learned that one of the gifts that God gave to his people was the gift of the law, the gift of the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And we saw in our study how people didn't really do so great at following the law. They drifted pretty far afield from what God had actually asked them to do. They didn't take care of the poor. They didn't take care of widows and orphans. They stopped practicing Sabbath. They even let statues of other gods be put up in the temple of the Lord. And if you were here, you may remember that we actually read a story in Scripture about how they were cleaning out the temple one day and they found the law, which means that they had actually lost the law. And they find it back and they're like, oh, we are in such trouble. And yes, they were. That's exactly what happened. That king who found the law, he tried really to clean everything up, but it was too little too late, and they went into exile. God punished the people from turning, for turning away from his law by sending them into exile. So there were people who were able to come back from exile, and they settled around the Sea of Galilee, kind of in the northern part of Israel, and they together made a commitment. They said, this is never going to happen again. We are going to know the law. We are going to teach our children the law. We are never going to wander so far away again. And so what they did was establish a school system for their kids to learn the law. And this is how they did it. From the ages of 5 to 10, every child went to school and memorized the Torah. All of it. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, by heart, by the age of 10. Well, that'll, that'll do it. <laughs> and then if you were really good, if you had done really well at that level of education, you got to go to the next level of education. And from the ages of 10 to 13, you learned all the rest of the Hebrew scriptures, all the rest of the Old Testament. So there were students who by the age of 13 knew the entire Old Testament by heart. In fact, you can go to Orthodox communities in Israel today, well, that is still the case. You can ask a young boy, for example, how many times do birds come up in the Old Testament? And he'll do something like this. 13? I mean, I don't know if that's the right answer, but it's amazing. I'm like, okay, yeah, that's right. That's good. They just know it. They internalized it. They said, this is how much we want our children to know the law and love the law and value their relationship with God. We want them to know it by heart. And this is the community that Jesus grew up in. So Jesus grew up in the city of Nazareth in the north near the Sea of Galilee and he very likely went to one of these schools. He very likely did did okay and got bumped up to the next school and then probably to the next one and then to the next one which made him a rabbi. But this is what he learned deep within his bones. He knew the Torah. He knew all the Hebrew scriptures by heart. And that's the backdrop of what happens here in Matthew 4. 4. He's been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And now some people say, well, if he's been fasting that long, obviously he is very spiritually strong, and the devil is really stupid to come and try and test him when he's very spiritually strong. And I hear people say that, and I think, have you ever fasted? Because I don't know what your experience is like, but I have not fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. I've fasted much shorter than that. And by the time it is done, I am hangry. Right? I am tired. I am hungry. I am weary. I'm not immune to temptation. I'm actually a lot more vulnerable to temptation. And so, what we have here is Jesus has been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, and scripture tells us he's famished. So, he's thinking, oh, I almost made it. The end of my 40 days, my 40 nights. He's thinking about grilled fish. He's thinking about fresh bread, he's thinking about who's got figs, right? He's like thinking about all these things, he's about ready to be done, and there the devil shows up, and he's like, oh, all right. And now, the devil throws at him three temptations, each one built on a different lie, because the devil, Satan, the enemy, is known as the father of lies. And so what he tries to do is to go toward Jesus and tell him lies about his relationship with God. So the first one, he says to him, if you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. You're hungry, right? God won't provide for you. You're out here in the middle of the wilderness. There's nobody around You've got the power. You need to take care of you. You need to do you. You just take care of you right now because no one else will. God's not going to provide for you. You've got to do this. This is all about you right now. Second one takes him to a high point. Says, just go ahead and throw yourself down. Just go ahead. God won't protect you. You've got to test him. You've got to see. Because bad things are going to come into your life, and he's just going to let them happen. God cannot be trusted. So try him out. See if he shows up. God won't provide. God can't be trusted. Takes him to the kingdoms of the world, shows him the splendor, the beauty, the wealth. All this can be yours Because the truth of it is, God is keeping good things from you. This whole thing you have where you're committed to God and this whole fasting out here in the wilderness, I don't know what that's about, but obviously God is keeping good things from you. The kingdoms of the world have all the good things. Bow down to me, you get all the good things. God won't provide. God can't be trusted. God is keeping good things from you. Now, do those sound kind of familiar? They should, because they're the same ones he uses on us. You see, he's not very creative. He's persistent, but he's not creative. And so these are the things that he says to us. God won't provide for you. You have to look out for you. I mean, other people can afford to to major in, like, something fluffy, but you can't. You need to have a financial plan. You need to have a way out. You also need to work like 30 hours a week so that you graduate with no debt because God won't provide for you. You need to provide for you. You also need to worry about this all the time. All the time. Worry about it all the time. And the other thing you better worry about is whether or not God will ever bring a mate into your life. You should worry a lot about that. Because God won't provide for you, so you better get all the apps that are out there and swipe and swipe and swipe until you find something. God won't provide for you. You need to take care of you. God can't be trusted. Look what he's already done in your life. Your mom got cancer. Your friend committed suicide. Your country's under the threat of war. You really think God can be trusted when he lets this stuff happen to you, when he lets this stuff come into your life and the life of your country, really? You think God can be trusted with that? Test him try it out see if God will do what you want him to do God can't be trusted if you would only look at the Instagrams of other people you would realize how much you are missing out on there is a lot of good stuff out there in the world and I don't know what you got with this whole sobriety, obedience chastity thing you got going on you're just crazy because out there in the world is a lot of good stuff. A lot of money, a lot of sex, a lot of power. And God is keeping you from all of it. He doesn't want you to have the good stuff. He's keeping it all for himself. You deserve to have a funner life. Satan uses bad grammar. <laughs> you deserve to have all the stuff of the world because God is keeping you from good things. Those are the lies. There are more. Those are three of them. Those are the lies that came at Jesus. Those are the lies that come at us all the time. And so in order to know what to do, how do we respond, we need to look at how Jesus responded. What did he do? Now remember, he is tired. He is hungry. He's been alone for 40 days out in the wilderness. And the enemy comes to him and says, God will not provide for you. If you're the son of God, you've got powers. We both know you got some powers. Turn these stones into bread. And Jesus says, you shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And in that moment, he's saying, God is going to give me exactly what I need when I need it. God is providing for me in ways that you just can't even see. And what's interesting about this one is that it comes up in the Lord's Prayer, which we'll look at next week, where he invites us all to pray and says, give us each day, daily bread, right? Not bread for 40 days and 40 nights. Not stones into bread, like how many loaves of bread does a person need? Enough. He says to the enemy, God is providing me with exactly what I need when I need it in ways that you don't even understand. One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I know who I'm going to listen to. God can't be trusted. You've got to test him. You've got to see, is he going to follow through in the things that he said? And to this, Jesus says, you should not put your Lord, your God, to the test. And Jesus is saying to, to, the, to the enemy, this is not my relationship with God. I don't test him. I know bad stuff is going to come into my life, and I know he will preserve me through it. I don't just take risks and see if God is going to catch me. That's not the way this relationship works. I follow after him and know that he will preserve me, even through the hard seasons, even through the challenges. I don't put the Lord my God to the test. Jesus says God provides. Jesus says God preserves and when all the kingdoms of the world are given to him, he says, as written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Only. He says, God is every good thing. The kingdoms of this world have facades. They have false things. They try to mate our appetites. But the truth is, he says, worship the Lord your God and serve him only for he is every good thing he's not keeping us from good things he is the good thing and so Jesus is able to rebuke Satan each time with scripture that he has known in his bones since he was eight years old it's not like uh, there was this test about bread and he's like do I know a verse about bread and uh, life, and God, uh... Oh, my God! And it was like, boom! He had it. He knew it. It was in him, and he could use it to rebuke the enemy. Jesus uses the power of Scripture to rebuke the lies of the enemy. Jesus uses the power of Scripture to claim the truth about God and who he is. This is why we are invited to know and love Scripture. Because Scripture reminds us that God provides and God preserves and God is every good thing. Scripture tells us that. It reminds us every time we hear a lie, wait a minute, that's not right. I've got a word against that. Scripture helps us understand what God's voice sounds like. In fact, the more you read Scripture and the more you understand how God worked with people then, You can figure out how he's working with people now. Scripture reminds us where we stand in this big story. We're part of the story. Now, I'm guessing there aren't any objections to any of that. We're all like, yep, love scripture, big fan. Not a problem. Just have a hard time reading it. Totally legitimate, all right? Let's just name right here, there are places in scripture that are kind of boring. There are parts of scripture that are hard to understand. There are parts of scripture we read and we think, I have no idea why this is in here. I'm going through 1 Corinthians right now. Every night before bed, I I read a passage of scripture and I'm working my way through 1 Corinthians and there's stuff that I'm reading. I'm like, why is that in there? And all my commentaries are upstairs, and I'm not gonna like go upstairs and like study in the middle of the night. It's just like I don't know. I don't know why this is in here, but I keep reading because it's a habit, it's a discipline, and it shapes me. And one of the things that motivates me is that the Bible that's on my nightstand is a Bible that belonged to my grandmother. And at the end of her life, my grandmother could no longer read, which was a real loss, a significant loss for her. And so uh, she was given one of those talking Bibles. And she listened to the entire Bible, like over and over. She got all the way through it. She's like, I get to start again. She was really excited about this. Like she just would listen over and over and over and over. And, you know, my grandma was a a strong woman, she was an opinionated woman, and she was a woman who loved Jesus. And as I saw her kind of decline toward the end of her life, what came out more and more and more was her love of Jesus and her hunger for Scripture. And so when it's at night and I'm climbing into bed and I think, I am exhausted, I do not want to read Scripture, I look at that Bible and I think, You know what? I want to be the type of woman at the end of my life that my grandmother was at the end of hers. So I open up the Bible and I read because I know that this is going to make me not just more like my grandmother, but my grandmother did it because she wanted to become more like Christ and I want to become more like Christ. I want to be able, when the devil comes at me with temptations and lies, I want to be able to do the jujitsu that Jesus is able to do. to be able to go like, boom, I've got a scripture verse for that. I want to say, no, God provides. He gives us each day our daily bread, manna from heaven. God provides. I can tell you stories, devil, about how God provides. God preserves. Let me tell you how many times it says in scripture, be not afraid. Let me tell you all the times when he comes near to people. Let me tell you, I'm going to tell you the story of the fire furnace. There are these three guys, and they go in the furnace, and they're not burned because God preserves them. Are they spared the fire? No, they're not. Is God with them in it? Yes, he is. And God is every good thing. Let me tell you, devil. Let me tell you about the time when I only had $14 in my checking account as a grown-up adult person. And everything in my life had been stripped away. And I was in an apartment as a 30-something with put-together furniture, and the kingdoms of this world had no appeal because God was my joy. God was my every good thing. Let me tell you, devil, about a God that provides and a God that preserves. And a God that is my every good thing. Let me sit down, devil, and have a little Bible study with you because I'm going to point to the truth of who my God is. That's why we read Scripture, that's why we study it, that's why we memorize it, that's why we have sermons on it week after week after week. It's because we need to be reminded again and again as the lies and the temptations come at us that we are part of a different story, that we know the God of truth, and that we will claim that we are part of this story that began in a garden and will end in a city when the Son of God comes back again. Because we know that Jesus didn't only rebuke Satan in this little moment out in the wilderness. But we know from our study of Scripture, we know that in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, Satan has been defeated forever, and that the lies and the temptations that he throws at us now are his last gasp before he is completely destroyed. And so we study Scripture to remind ourselves of the power of the story and the truth of the resurrection and the hope that is ours because of Jesus Christ. We study the story, we learn the story, we meditate on the story because it is truth and it is life and it is hope. That's why we study scripture. And we believe in this so much that um, our friend Bob Crow, sitting in the back, we love Bob Crow. Bob Crow has developed a group called CHU, which stands for committed hearts engaging the word. Also, because one of the great Hebrew words for meditate on scripture really means chew, like an animal chewing its cud, like chew on it, think about it, meditate on it. And so for every week of the second semester, Bob has a Bible verse, and if you sign up with him afterwards, downstairs by the coffee and cookies, he'll send you an email with it every week. And here we also have it on bookmarks. Just one short verse every week. And you can chew on it. You can meditate it. You can quiz your friends on it. Right? You can do this with buddies. You can do this with your housemates. You can do this with your team. Right? Look at, this is like a semester's worth of verses on a bookmark. You can do this. Because we want you to develop the habits that will shape a life that gets you at the end of your life looking more like Jesus Christ than you do now. Just before worship we were talking about scripture memory and pastor paul i'm going to put him on the spot pastor paul was saying that when he was an undergrad at indiana university there was an older student in their campus ministry who said paul have you ever memorized scripture and paul was like no and he said well i think you should and he explained how he did it he had a new verse every monday and he would review that verse for a week, and then he would move that verse to Tuesday and pick another fresh verse for Monday, and so he slowly is building up card after card after card after card. So Paul is 20 when this challenge gets thrown at him, and he's now 41. That's 21 years of scripture memory. So when he's planning worship, he does the scripture jujitsu, doesn't he? Right? All the wives are like, how do you know that? (laughs) And he's like, 21 years of Scripture memory, 10 minutes a day, right? You can do this. This shapes who you become. And let me say that after years of working with Pastor Paul, I know that this shapes him. It just comes out of him. The story of God's relationship with his people and the redemption of Jesus Christ and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, that's just woven into how he does his life. Because the story of scripture is woven into the marrow of his bones. Who do you wanna be? Who are you becoming? We have been given a heritage in the law of the Lord. Psalm 119 verse 11 says this, Your word I have hid in my heart so that I may not sin against you. Your word I have hid in my heart so that I may not sin against you. Jesus hid God's word in his heart and it allowed him to stay free of sin. And that's what he invites for us. He says, hide this word in your heart so that the lies and temptations of the enemy have no truck with you. This is your story. We get to live it.